This episode of Breaking Brave is brought to you by Soul Snacks. Soul Snacks are single ingredient, eco-conscious dog and cat treats sourced directly from farms in Ontario and wrapped in fully compostable packaging. Treating your pets never felt so good. Use coupon code BREAKINGBRAVE for 15% off on soulsnacks.ca. That's soulsnacks.ca. Hi, welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. Today, we have the honor and pleasure of having our first Canadian singer-songwriter as a guest. Born as Raphaela Wayman, Ralph describes her musical genre as a mixture between synth-pop, disco, and smooth soul. She has mentioned sounds and inspiration from Donna Summer, Cher, Stevie Nicks, and Sade. In our interview today, we talk all about how she got her start in music to her new EP that she's released called Gradients and the song that I am personally completely obsessed with, which is Tommy. Please welcome our very own Canadian, incredibly talented, Ralph. So good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Breaking Brave. Raffaella Wayman, but we're not <laughs> going to call you Raffaella ever again, except for now, for a second. You are Rafa. You are Ralph. Can I just read where your music has been featured? Because I'm, I don't do bios, but this was just amazing to me. So I'm going to do this and then we're going to chat. Sure. So television networks like E, HBO, Freeform, and Vice, and press in Billboard. Paper, Paste, Nylon, V Magazine, Mother Jones, Interview Magazine, Teen Vogue, and MTV News. <laughs> you are a rock star. That's not all you've done, but we'll get into the other stuff later. So welcome, welcome, Rafa. Would, is it fine if I call you Rafa, or would you rather if I called you Ralph, or what's the best way to go here? No, you know, I, I, it's, there's never an easy answer. I think it's always situational, but I find that in moments where I am actually having a in-depth conversation with someone um, and speaking as Rafa, you know, I I would, yeah, I think Rafa is good. Because if you call me Ralph, it will feel like, you know, it, we're just a sort of one-off, hi, how are you kind of thing. It, it always feels a little less personal. I get it. And I want this to be not a one-off at all. So Rafa, you are a singer-songwriter born and raised in Toronto, incredibly talented, and have been nominated for a Juno, and it goes on and on and on. But I want to, I would like to start back when you talk about being raised by hippies <laughs> and ha your parents having this cool, eclectic collection of albums. Mm -hmm. So what were some of your favorite albums from the hippie parents mm -hmm. when you were raised that obviously had a huge impact on your music going forward? Well, so there's sort of the obvious ones, I think. Like, my mom is a big Joni Mitchell fan. And so is my dad, but she's written her name on those records. They're hers from when she was uh, in her Sharpie 20s. with my mom's yes, name no, on truly. it. Yes, no, truly. So she loves Joni Mitchell. She loves Carly Simon, um, Joan Baez. Um, she's more of the sort of folk. And then she's got her Dylan, and she's got her Eric Clapton, and... Um, She's a big Beatles fan as well. I kind of forgot that, like, I grew up 
really listening to the Beatles. My mom was an art teacher and she would teach these art classes for kids. She's an artist. Yeah. And, um, and she would play rubber soul. And I forgot how, and then we watched the, all of the Beatles movies, like all of the weird ones when we were kids, like help was one of my favorite movies of all time still is very hard to find. But, um, the Beatles was a really like a huge band for me growing up. And then my dad was more, um, funk soul kind of guy like he loved prince um he loved the temptations he loved muddy waters um he loved uh i guess my mom both loved kind of the rock and roll stuff the birds and the rolling stones and the beach boys and sort of all the the boy bands of the 60s and 70s um and then like etta and ella and nina simone my dad was really into jazz as well um, so those were kind of like, those still all exist up at my, so my family has a farmhouse up North that my dad's side of the family, um, purchased in the fifties. It's just this big old farmhouse. Um, and it's always been a place that I shared with, with my, my, like I'll go up there with all my cousins. They're like my siblings and all of the vinyl is there and that's exclusively what we listen to. So, um, I still get to go, to go up and kind of refresh my memory of, and there's nothing like you know, putting a needle down and kind of like listening to a record and then flipping it. It really is a, just a different way to listen to music. I think it's almost like you, you listen more uh, deeply because I feel like, at least for me, I know that there's only, you know, five songs that will play and then I got to go flip it. And then I got to go flip it again. Whereas, you know, you plug in Spotify and it's just kind of like, okay, cool. That's just going to keep going, you know? I totally get it. It's the tactile interaction with the music almost, mm-hmm. right? Where you're touching the vinyl. You, oh, the cover art. And then you're pulling oh, it out totally. of the sleeve. And then you're touching it and you're putting it down and you're dropping the needle beautifully. Oh. It's like you already have a relationship with it before it even starts. You're how- cleaning it. You know, you're even cleaning it. And it's like this very kind of, you're right. Like I remember being a kid and, and going through all the vinyl and looking at the cover art. I didn't know the names. I didn't really know how to associate names with sound. So I just remember looking at the cover art and going like, whoa, you know, like, and some of the cover art that we have is pretty racy for a, you know, an eight year old. And I'd be like, whoa, what's that? That's a bum, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, and I would always be looking for, and this is how old I am again, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass oh, yeah, had, a, I know. had one album where there was a woman that looks a lot like you facially anyway. And she had, <laughs> she was covered in whipped cream. And I, like, I, we have the same one. We have it up at the farm. I know exactly the one. Yeah. This is like yeah. sneaking a Playboy or something. Totally. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. It felt very mature. I felt very kind of like, oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I so get it. I can look at nudity. Yeah. Um. So the family farm, let me loop on that. Mm-hmm. You sang for a cousin, I think, yes, in the I dark yeah. at last. Why in the dark? Because you were nervous? Yeah, I didn't, I had never thought of, it's not, you know, how some people are like, oh, I knew I wanted to be, you know, a singer from the start. I did not have that. I actually wanted to be an actor. And so I was always the one making skits and performing and doing little plays and was in acting classes. And I even had an acting agent and I never thought about singing. Like, I don't remember, I loved music. I loved singing along to stuff, but I never I don't think I ever thought like, oh, I'm good. I'm going to do this. And then um, I guess my cousin heard me singing along to things. And she was older than me, my cousin Chloe. And she had a friend up and uh, they were like, you sh- you're going to sing for us. And I, I was like, I, wh- I like, no, absolutely not. I, I That is the most terrifying thing that 
like performing music. I just was like, absolutely not. And uh, they were very, not in a mean way, but they were like, we really, you're good. Like, how can we get you to do this? Like, we really want to hear you sing this song because we've heard you singing along to it and we know you know it. So she said, do you want me to close the curtains and turn off the lights and close the door? And do you think that if we're not looking at you? Because I think it was that for me was that this sort of these ex- expecting eyes kind of like sitting there and I just was mortified. And so uh, it seemed much easier if I was doing it in the dark because then it was, you know, just me and no one else. Um, so we turned off the lights and I sang at last and yeah. And then they were like, wow, like that was really good. And I, it was weird. I was like, okay, okay, cool, cool. I don't know. I just like, there was, I had such little, uh, I just really didn't think that I was a good singer. Not that I thought I was a bad singer. I just had never really thought about it, period. It was more the focus on the acting. Mm-hmm. I also have a note here that says that you were cast as the lead in a grade eight musical when yeah. you just tried out for the chorus and you thought, somebody's made a mistake. What yeah. was the musical? What was the musical you were doing? Well, Rafa? I went to a very small alternative school for grade seven and eight. It's called City View Alternative. There's 60 students, a very alternative place. And it was a, a musical that one of the moms had written, actually. So um, it's called uh, Shine. And it's about a fairy god person because they didn't want to have the gender pronoun be one or the other. So it's a fairy god person. And right. um, and then a pet shop owner who wants to be a star. And I come in and help him shine. Um, yeah. And so I remember when I was auditioning for it, I auditioned for just like, yeah, a background character. And then when they put up the cast list, I was the main character. I was the fairy god person. And I was like, no, no, no. Someone's made a mistake. I I don't want this. I don't want this. But they were like, you're you're the person. You're the only person in the school who can do this. And I remember there was this one. So we, we performed that, that show for like little kid elementary school. So we would perform it in this theater um, over by Christy Pitts uh, and perform it for like a full audience of kids. And I was like, I don't know. Yeah, I was like 13. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And there was this one song. And I remember the, it went, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, shine. But I didn't know how to belt. And it was like, I knew every time I got to that that song I was like oh Rafa you gotta you're gonna try to hit it tonight we're gonna see how it goes but um that was sort of the the moment that I was like okay maybe I should audition for an arts high school and do instead of drama audition for music theater like I always thought I would audition for drama because my brother went there and all his cool older friends were in drama and then I was like, oh, maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I guess I'm doing music theater. So, yeah. Fantastic. So what um, what high school did you then end up auditioning for slash going to? I went to Etobicoke School of the Arts. I've heard mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've it's, heard of it because I grew up in the West End of the city yeah. of Toronto. So I, I knew of it. It is a pretty amazing place. It was interesting, though, um, to, to basically... You know, for me, it was like, okay, so you're the best singer uh, at at your school, which is 60 people. And then you go (laughs) to a bigger school and you're not the best anymore. You're now you're 
surrounded by all of the bests, you know, it's like every kid who was the best in their class is now at this school. And I remember like the first week of grade nine, we had to perform party pieces in front of our class. So you pick a song and you perform it in front of your entire class and all the teachers. And I was absolutely terrified. I like cowered in the corner and just hoped that maybe they would forget I existed, but that doesn't happen because they have a class list of names. So, you know, they finally got to Wayman and they're like, okay, Wayman, get up there and perform. And I, I just, I was absolutely terrified of performing for the first two years of high school. Like you'd have to, I loved doing drama week. I loved doing monologues. Like no one else really liked drama as much as me. I loved doing dance and drama, but the singing component was like, I just wasn't confident enough yet. I didn't have like the vocal skills. I didn't have the performance skills, the breathing techniques. I just was like, I suck. <laughs> First of all, I have to ask you, what song did you pick to perform in front of oh. the class? I'm sure you remember. Do you remember? I do. I think it was the song that I had auditioned with. Um, and I had auditioned with two songs. And one of them, I did a Cockney accent because it was from My Fair Lady. Oh, um, yeah. So I think I did. I think I did. All I want is a room somewhere. Far away from the cold night air. And like everyone else was singing My Little Mermaid uh, songs. And then I was singing uh, like, yeah, a Cockney accent, like full, <laughs> full performance piece. <laughs> it doesn't sound faux to me. Uh, uh, good great. for you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, good for you. So as you made your way through high school, did that fear of performing ever get better, leave altogether, or just find a place where you knew how to talk to it and manage it? It, You know, it's funny, like by grade 11, it it had completely flipped. Um, I think also by grade 11, I had, so I had a really great music theater teacher for 11 and 12. Um, and she encouraged me to try out for the jazz um, sort of singing group called Jam. <clears throat> and I did, and she was like, oh, this feels so much more your speed. And it's true. Like, I think with music theater, I had a hard time because it was very kind of like, dun, 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 a shiny jazz hands. It felt a bit contrived and I had a yeah. really hard time getting there. And with jazz, it was emotional. You know, it was like, we're singing Cry Me a River. And I'm like, oh God, I love this. I get this. So when I discovered jazz and I discovered that I was good at jazz and they actually gave me a lead I got to sing My Funny Valentine with the whole jazz choir and the band behind me. And that was really a great moment for me because I got selected. Like, let's like, Rafa, you got picked to sing because you were, you know, the best for this part. And that was a big moment for me. And I think that having, I'd kind of finally acquired the like performance skills that I needed to, you know, to actually kind of get rid of the nerves and breathe on stage. And um, I think also just getting a role was kind of a, the huge like little push that I needed to get out on stage. So by grade 11, I was like aggressively like, I want that role. I want to be doing that, you know? And I started kind of finding myself as a performer. Um, and yeah, I, I like, I really don't think that I would be a singer or be doing what I'm doing if I hadn't gone to ESA because I needed that, I needed those performance skills, but I also needed people to push me out of my, you know, out of my little corner where I was cowering. And I, yeah. I do credit, I had a music theater teacher who was the head of music theater at ESA. And we had a complex relationship because I felt like he pushed me <clears throat> a little too hard sometimes, like almost he picked on me. But he passed away two years ago, very unexpectedly. And my friend told me, uh, you know, 
my friend who had called me to tell me um, was like, I know that he was really proud of what you're doing with Ralph. And I know that he always thought you were a very special person. So that was um, really nice to hear because I think he really helped shape uh, me as a performer. And I, I never really got to tell him that. So I'm very grateful to the school for, for and for Mr. Akins for pushing me out of the, the corner I was in. People who push. Mm-hmm. People who push that that know your ability are amazing mm-hmm. because they see your potential, they see your opportunities, and they see what how far you can be pushed. Mm-hmm. You hate them, hate but them. You love them because mm-hmm. they're the ones who take you to the edge. They're the ones who force the bravery. They're the ones who get you to new places that you mm-hmm. never would have have let yourself get to on your own. But unfortunately, I think sometimes you only realize that, you know, years later where you go, oh, they weren't picking on me. They actually picked me because they saw something, but they didn't know. I think it was hard because I was young and I felt, yeah, I felt like I was getting bullied or that there was sort of an unfairness um, being applied to me. And I wasn't sure why I was the one getting all of this. And now I think that it was just a, you know, sort of tough love situation, which I, and I didn't come from tough love. I came from parents who were pretty just straight up loving. So I don't know. Tough love was a hard thing for me to understand. Understood. And, and yes, in my, in my case, it's only after the fact. It's never in the moment. In the moment, you hate them. Totally. It's like, why are you doing to, this to me? Why are you picking on me? Why are you making me uncomfortable? But later, you think, if that individual hadn't done that to me, for me, with me, I would never have been able to get to where I am now. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I only understood that kind of recently. Yeah. So I'd love to talk a little bit now, Rafa, about when you decided that you were going to take music seriously going, and I've I've watched your TikTok, there's so many things to talk (laughs) about, so many things to talk about, but okay, it's like... I think I found my love when I got out of musical theater and then started doing more of the jazz focused mm-hmm. stuff. And so, so the seriousness of, I'm really going to do this for the rest of my life. Can you tell me that story or how that came to be? Well, I think so when I, when I finished high school, I traveled, I had worked really hard so that I could backpack through Europe and kind of took some space. I, I didn't go straight into university cause I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I, I you know, I'm one of those people who kind of, there was a lot of things that I liked to do and that I was interested in, one of them being music, but I was also interested in fashion and styling and, um, and, and still in theater. Um, so I was kind of taking a little bit of a break to just go expand my mind and, you know, get filled with culture and working. I also think that like having a job for most of my teen and adult life really helped sort of shape me as like the responsible person that I am now. Like I know how to hustle because I always have. But when I got back from traveling, I, my friend from, uh, my friend from high school was in a band with five guys. Uh, they were called the Flyboys, and they were like, "Hey, if you want to sing some songs with us, I think it started off as me singing like, kind of just backup, and then I started writing songs with Mike, the lead singer, and then I joined the band. So it was me and five, me and six guys um, in this band, and we were doing this kind of like folky singer songwriter stuff and. It was so fun. Um, and that was my first, yeah, that was my first time being in in a band where I was writing my own music and performing it. And I was like, oh, this is so fun. Like, 
singing songs that I'm writing with my friends and all my friends are coming to the shows. That was such a like beautiful um, opportunity. And then I went on from there to do solo singer-songwriter stuff with one of the guys from the band being my musician, Adrian. And then I started a folk band with three other women. And that was really special too, being in a band with just women and um, doing this, you know, like four-part harmonies. There was banjo, there was guitar. My friend Gemma was playing drums. Um, <clears throat> it's called Queen of the Fleet. And uh, I, yeah, I was a really, I really loved when I was in Queen of the Fleet. Um, but I, I did actually during that time, I I was still, I wasn't sure that music was like the thing. I was doing it because I loved it, but I was still, mm-hmm. um, I was in school for, I went to U of T for film theory and English because my dad and a lot of my relatives come from a film background. So I thought maybe I wanted to, and I went with my dad to film festivals across the world and interned for him. So I made lots of connections in the film world and I knew I loved filmmaking and my dad was so proud. Like, this is my daughter. She's studying film, you know? Um, I thought maybe I wanted to work in film and then I was also acting. Um, and then I think when I got, before I went to U of T, I auditioned at Ryerson and, um, Humber maybe for theater. And I got, I didn't get accepted to either of the programs. And, I think that I've been really lucky in my life that when I've auditioned or applied for things, I've I've gotten a lot of them. And mm-hmm. um, and when I got rejected from both the theater programs, I was like, oh, well, I'm a bad actor. And that's it for me. I literally hung up my acting cap. I was like, that's it. No one has had the guts to tell me that I'm a bad actor. But, you know, I am. And I, I so I think once I kind of like just crumpled up that dream and threw it in the garbage. I <laughs> I um, sort of opened like <laughs> the door to being like, okay, well, I'm doing music. I love music. Um, people seem to like coming to the shows and like the songs that I'm writing. Um, so yeah, I think that that was kind of, it, it wasn't like a sort of, uh, it wasn't like the whole time I was doing music, I was like, this is definitely it. I knew I loved it, but I was also surrounded by so much art and, you know, different facets of art growing up that I did feel like I had all these potential paths to take. Um, and I really wasn't sure what I kind of wanted to focus on for like a very long time. I think like until I, until I guess the Queen of the Fleet project had to kind of wrap up because my bandmate had a baby and then my other bandmate moved to a farm such a like folk band thing the, to do the band is dropping like flies at this I point know. so there's no band left no then and then i then i started focusing on ralph and that kind of actually started like getting legs and like moving and i was like oh okay here i am i think this is my job yeah so the persona of ralph that we talked about very earlier on mm-hmm. ralph has done some Amazing things. It was Wednesday, July the 7th of this year that you released Tommy. Now I dream about Tommy. I can't even focus because he's got his hands on me. Never had my number, but I'm mad he didn't call me. Should have said it to your face, but you got away. Tommy, do you want me? I have listened to it 
so many times. <laughs> I mean, listen to it. I have watched it, it mm-hmm. being the music video, because I'm completely captivated by the music Good. video. But can you tell us the story of creating Tommy? Because I think everybody in the world can relate to that story. Mm. Well, that's always my goal when I'm writing and it's, I love that you say that about Tommy because I think if, if sort of like if you're not listening close enough, you might think, oh, this song is like super specific. It's about a guy named Tommy and, and their love story. It's not. I don't even know this. There is no such person as Tommy. Uh, as I keep trying to convince my boyfriend that Tommy doesn't actually exist. <laughs> really? I promise. <laughs> it's just a thought. <laughs> no. And, you know, I actually try to like more and more. I try to write my songs from a if I can, from a gender neutral perspective, because I never want to feel like I'm leaving, you know, some, a listener out or that I can't have a listener feel like they can relate to the the content. Um, so I, I kind of like to think of Tommy as this, this sort of vessel, this, this vessel for an experience that I think is a shared experience where, you know, you see someone at a bar, at a party, at a park, whatever, that, that feeling of seeing someone and just feeling an instant connection and curiosity. And then, you know, feeling that little heart flutter, um, and making eyes with them and then looking away and all of a sudden they're gone. And then they're all you can think about, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had that in my life. And sometimes they reappear and sometimes they don't. And I just think it's a magical, you know, human experience that we all have. Um, So, and plus I had always wanted to write a song where the hook was a name. Always, always. I think that's the classic rock in me. You know, like there's so many great songs um, that you and I probably listened to on vinyl where, you know, like Jolene and... um, Lola, like there's, I just think it, it's such a timeless concept if you can make it work. So that was my goal. I watched your music video around Tommy. I'd say maybe 10 or 15 times now before before we got on this, because every time I was either picking up something new within the lyrics (laughs) or seeing something new within the music video. And I found myself at maybe the fourth, fifth or sixth time of watching it actually going back in my mind to parties that I had gone to in university and thinking about those, in my case, men that I had locked eyes with and starting to think, where are they? Yeah, totally. I never really saw them again. I didn't even know their name. I can't even look them up on social media, but I remember the butterflies and the instantaneous connection. So... I think everybody in the world has had moments like that, as you say, no matter where, no matter when. Totally. But um, the name, Tommy, mm-hmm. I know there was, I think Derek came up with the name Tommy, he right? Did. Derek's your producer? Yeah. Yeah, we were trying to just uh, figure out what name, you know, we could use that felt um, sort of easy, like, you know, palatable, um, but also had a kind of cute rhyme attached to it that was uncomplicated and just hooky. And I think, you know, it was like Mike rhymes with like, okay. And, and then, uh, we had a couple others, um, Antonio, Antonio. Yeah. Um, when I, that was one that I came up with when I was in Italy, uh, I remember swimming in the ocean and then coming up with this like little rhyme, Antonio, I love you so, and I never, ever, ever want to let you go. But that one just didn't, it was too complicated or something. I don't know. I think we wanted something that felt a little, um, a little easier. So then Derek was like, what about, he's like, maybe this is too on the nose, but Tommy, do you want me? And I was like, no, I think, 
that sings nicely. It's not too cute. Um, let's see once we, you know, kind of flush it out if, if we like it. And so it just kind of stuck. Yeah. Well, and Tommy is, Tommy could be any, Tommy's a vessel as you talked about, but it doesn't necessarily have a gender attached to it. Yes. And I like that. That's generally, um, even when I was casting for the music video, I wanted to actually cast someone who was non-binary, um, as Tommy and, uh, you know, when you're, (laughs) when you're putting together quite an elaborate production. Um, and me and Renee, my director, spent months really, like, you know, we really did this music video ourselves. And that's not to say that everyone who was part of the crew was not a huge part, but the pre-production was largely me and Renee with a very small budget and a big idea putting together this music video. And um, it just kind of, sometimes, you know, you reach out to people, who you really want to be a part of the project. And sometimes it just comes down to availability and budget. So um, the character who ended up playing Tommy was actually my stylist's assistant. Um, Yeah. And Tashi. And uh, he was just so cute. And I did like his look. He had this cool kind of like skinny seventies rock star look. Um, And he was available because he was going to be assisting on the shoot anyway. So we were like, hey, can we actually cast you as the main person? And she was like, okay, I do need an assistant still though. But anyway, so that's how Tommy came to be Tommy in the video. Yeah. Well, and it's 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 incredibly beautiful. Thank you. Incredibly beautiful. The costuming, the styling, mm-hmm. the background. Like this is why I watched it so many times because yeah. it's kind of like watching a great it's it's a great piece of art and every time you see it or consume it or appreciate it it you see and notice different levels of intricacy and beautiful things about yeah. it it was a very special experience to put that video together because so uh i had this idea um years ago and I, I don't know where it came from but i had this image of marie antoinette on the back of a motorcycle in nike's i i love combining when I, when I, even for my own, you know, stage aesthetic, but for videos, I love the idea of like high fashion meets the absurd and combining, it's the same thing that I do in my music. It's like almost genre, you know, mix, mishmashing. Um, so I met with my hairdresser, Justin, who's an amazing artist and helps me with all of my beautiful hair, wigs, all the stuff. Um, because Justin was like, I have a friend, Renee, who's an amazing director. I think we should all sit down. And this was like three years ago. We sat down and talked about this video concept. And then, you know, I was on tour and then COVID and Anyways, I looped back around with Renee when I started to put together, when I was putting together videos for this uh, EP and I reached out and I was like, hi, I have this song, Tommy, would you want to be, you know, the director on it? And we talked about, okay, well, what if we use that Marie Antoinette idea? Like, it doesn't necessarily, the song doesn't have to necessarily have anything to do with that era, you know, it could really be applied to anything. So yeah, me and Renee, um, via Zoom, she was also um, going to be about eight months pregnant by, or seven and a half months pregnant by the time we were shooting Tommy. So um, via Zoom, we just, you know, we looked at our budget and my manager was like, you guys have a big idea and a small budget. And we were like, we, we are, we can make it work. And this is, this is how, you know, this, I love working with people who are, can get on my level of like, we are going to make this work and we're not going to sacrifice this idea that we have. So we ended up really like, and I, I always try to make sure that I uh, elaborate on how crucial 
like a good, generous, committed crew is because you wouldn't be able to put together a video that, you know, luxurious and that um, aesthetically stimulating if you didn't have such generosity um, with with everyone who's a part of the video. Like my hairdresser made 12 wigs by hand. Like those towering wigs are handmade. They weighed like six pounds and he made them all, him and his team. Like, and it was just like, that to me was such a moments like that. I'm like, wow, like it's mind boggling to be honest that, that I have people in my life who put so much time and effort towards my projects because they, they believe in them. And my little brother shot that video, which was very cool. Yeah. He's a DP and, and he'd been, uh, really sort of working hard to kind of prove himself to be a, a music video and um, filmmaker, uh, like, capturer. And finally he got to a point where I was like, you know what, I I trust you and I want you to be a part of this. So he did it for free. Uh, he waived his fee because he needed to rent a camera. And I said, we don't have money to get you the camera, but also to pay you. And he was like, that's no problem. So he did it for free. My older brother's in the video. Since you've watched it so many times, you'll notice at the beginning, no, at the end, no, sorry, we shot it at the end of the day, but it's the first scene. It's the party scene. There is a man who appears in the background who um, you never see again, but he's wearing this sort of blonde wig and he's clapping and wearing glasses. That's my, that's my older brother. Yeah. So it was, it was just, and my stylist just, oh God, my stylist, Carla, she just really got it. Like everyone was really, really, it was amazing. Also after being, you know, inside without seeing humans for like a year and a half, that was my first experience being on set. And, um, it was, uh, oh, it was like so nurturing and needed. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine so joyous. Well, Mm -hmm. well, I don't think in my entire life I've ever watched a music video as many times as I've watched yours. So I'm by no means love that. an expert, but <laughs> it looks Hollywood. Great. That's it what my dad said. <laughs> sounds and feels yeah. Hollywood. Was it, was it scary for you doing that? I mean, it wasn't your first music video, mm-hmm. Rafa, but... Is it easier to do a music video because there, I mean, there are people around, but they're your crew and your set and your people mm-hmm. and you know them all, rather than standing on a stage and performing in front of people? I mean, what what for you is the difference in that in terms of maybe does it does it scare you more or less? Mm-hmm. Is there bravery involved mm-hmm. in that? I'm just oh, yeah. weaving back. You know what? There's always bravery for me being on camera. And it's funny because people, you know, my entire career have said, oh, you're such a natural on camera. But um I, you know, I come from a place where I've struggled with my body image my entire life. And so it's, it takes a lot of guts. It always has. Oh yeah. Really? I was, I was a chubby kid and, um, always felt very uncomfortable with my body and then have sense. So for me to be on camera, uh, I work, I make sure that I work with people who understand Mm. that I have deep body insecurities. And for me, my nightmare is to, look back at footage that is, you know, signed, sealed, delivered, done deal. Here's what you have. And to go, I don't feel good. Oh, and now this is going on the internet. Like, it's really Mm. hard for me to know, like, obviously putting anything on the internet is a scary, scary thing, but it's part of what I do. Um, But at least I know, like, you know, if I'm working with people who know me very well, then at least when we're filming, um, this is also why I like to work with women because I do find that there's just this, I don't know, it's more of an awareness or maybe it's even a comfort for me that I can take them aside and go, okay, hey, so in this scene, you know, I'm wearing a tank top. And when I'm 
you know, sitting and my arm is doing the thing where it squishes against your body, you know, we all know it. It, 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 it just, I just, you know, can you help me in this scene? Can you, if it's not looking good, just come in and pose me, you know? And I, I have like, I really appreciate when people can do that for me. And because I know that it will just crush me, um, if I look back on the footage and I don't feel good. So to be honest, every time I shoot a music video, uh, actually the second music video that we shot for Love Potion, um, I was working with a new stylist um, and we ended up actually co-styling because things were a little bit tricky, but I had told her I don't, I don't do short things on camera. I just don't. I don't wear short things on camera. That is my, at this point in my career, I know what I'm comfortable in. And mm-hmm. um, again, I would never want to watch something back and just, you know, not feel good. So I know how to style myself. I've been doing it for years. And um, my stylist had gone to this amazing costume rental place and she found all of these really great little mod 60s dresses. You know, but the day before a shoot, um, when you're trying on things and everything you're trying on, it doesn't fit or doesn't look good. It it really just, oh man, like my confidence just kind of broke. And that was a stress level. That's a stress level. I can feel it even as you say it, right? Yeah. It, 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 it's crazy how like, you know, as confident as you can be as a person, there are little moments where you, you're human, you're, you're, you're emotional. And I went into that music video feeling so insecure and a little bit unraveled, to be honest. And I even found like, you know, and I asked Renee to do this, but I was like, you know, if there's any moments um, on camera where you think that, because there was a scene where I was sitting and, you know, when you're wearing tight things, things kind of bunch funny. And I said, you know, when, when I'm sitting, like, feel free to scoop in and, and pose me if there's, you know, something that you think will look better. And she would, she'd go, okay, hold on, guys. Renee, my, my director, she'd go, okay, hold on. I'm just going to swoop in. And I remember when she swooped in and she was like, okay, I don't think you're going to like this angle. So we're just going to reset up the lighting and the camera so that we can get a better angle. And, you know, I really appreciate that she understood that. But I also, in because I was already feeling insecure, I think I was just like, God, like, I'm embarrassed, you know, that like everyone has to change everything because my arm looks fat in this shot, you know? And it's it's moments like that where, like, you know, you could you could do something for so many years, but you're still gonna... Like, there's just still this little chubby kid inside of me who uh, is always present, I I think, like, all the time. So that's something that definitely requires quite a bit of bravery. And I think that, I think performing on stage, I don't have time to think about that as much. It's kind of like, I have this outfit that I've picked. I generally pick outfits that I feel comfortable in on stage because I know that I'm getting photographed a lot. But I think, yeah, on camera for something that's going on the internet, that is definitely, like... A different kind of bravery. And I'm going to stay on this just for a second because I know that there are so many people out there. We do have a global audience, I'm so excited to say, mm-hmm. that would can relate to that, what you describe as chubby little kid inside of you and the bravery mm-hmm. it takes to to put them in the corner or not listen to them or, or whatever. So do you have some things that you do, Rafa, in your head, in your emotions, in your heart that, that help you that help you deal with it? I mean, obviously your stylist, Renee, is phenomenal in terms of almost mind-reading you around various things that are going on. But for yourself, how do you, how do you, how do you grapple with that? Um, I think that, um, that's, a, that's a tricky question because I, I really haven't kind of, you know, I haven't found 
the thing yet that kind of makes that little voice disappear. I think that I have gotten to a place where like, I know it's like when you go shopping and you know, there's like that helpful salesperson who's like, Oh my God, you should try this on. And you're like, Oh, I don't, that doesn't really feel like me, but you do it anyways. And then you buy the thing. And then later you're like, Oh my God, I hate this. And I feel bad. I think I've learned that I know what my, I know, I, I know which parts of my body I do like. I think that's been helpful being like, I like my waist. I like my um, decolletage area. You know, I, I, there's these parts of my body that I've been like, okay, I, I, I want to show these off because I like these parts of my body. Um, and then there's just parts that I know that I, I will always feel a little bit insecure about. Um, but I think as long as I, I have to remind myself, like, you know, unfortunately, just the way that my brain works, like, there are still parts of my body that I feel insecure about, but I think it helps balance it out when I can go, okay, I really like, my eyes look great in this shot. You know, I really like how this looks. That is helpful to focus on those, you know, to to make sure that you remind yourself when you're feeling insecure that, you know, to pick up the parts that you do feel really good about. And I think to surround yourself with people, like I said, you know, surrounding yourself with people who understand you and who you feel comfortable talking candidly about, that's been so important for me, um, because then I don't have to keep explaining myself or um, justifying my decisions. It's really frustrating when you're trying to, you know, when you have a stylist or someone who's going, no, but wear the shorts. They're so cool. And it's like, I don't want to because I don't feel I know myself. I've been doing this for a very long time and I'm very I think I'm quite easy to work with and I love being collaborative. But I also know. No, here's my comfort zone. Here is, you know, the things that I need to do to make myself feel safe on set when I'm feeling a little bit uh, scared. So yeah, just finding like the people I think who ground you and who you feel comfortable being around uh, when you're kind of in these like scary moment situations. That's been really helpful for me. Thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much. And I, I, I feel like that, that trust, that connection with people around you that get you, that can can and have and continue to sort of crawl into your soul and and know you so well mm-hmm. that just even having them around in your life, whether yes. you're filming or you're not, that gives you a lever to, a level of of comfort that 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 makes you feel strong because they've got you. For sure. You know they've got you. For sure. Well and I also think that, you know, like for me and everyone's journey with with body is so different. But for me being actually like getting to a point where I can comfortably talk about um, my my past and you know how I currently feel like it's actually more uh, it's a positive like therapeutic experience for me to discuss it because you know when I was um, and I guess I'll give listeners a heads up for anybody who could be triggered, I will just mention um, eating disorders here. Um, when I I struggled with an eating disorder for 10, uh, maybe 12 years pretty aggressively and um, obviously did not talk about it in that time, didn't discuss it with anybody. Um, and I find now that I, if I'm in a space where I'm asked to talk about it and I try to be very conscientious of, yeah, yeah you know, I know if you're struggling with something like that or have, it can be, oof, a very sensitive subject. Um, but I haven't been in situations um, and panels where I've talked about it. And it's, for me, very 
yeah, very therapeutic to be candid about it because I think that it helps my fans understand me. It helps people feel like, you know, they can relate. And it is like, you know, doing what I do, being on stage and being on the internet, like that is such a scary place to be when you are someone who is so critical of your body because Mm -hmm. anybody can say anything. And to be honest, like I know I shouldn't read the YouTube comments, but Uh, It's like a sick addiction. I do because I also love the supportive comments or the comments that are like, this video is amazing. You know, I feed off of those. I love those. But then there's the occasional one in there that can really just break you. So I think that I almost like I love that my fans know this information about me because they're like this like protective little pack, you know, and if there's like a troll who says something on TikTok or on Instagram or whatever, I have this pack, this little army who are like, you know, there to like have my back. And I, um, I love that. So it's been actually for me and even telling my parents, like that was, um, I, I told my parents like four years ago um, about my past with, with my eating disorder. And that was like the scariest thing for me because I knew mm-hmm. that my mom would take on that guilt. She would blame herself. And that was the only reason that I didn't want to tell them. I'm very close with my parents and I tell them everything. But that was something that I was like, I almost don't want my mom to have that, that guilt because it has nothing to do with her at all, at all. But I told them just because I felt like, you know, sort of almost a, a growing process that I need to, I need to incorporate them into it. And um, they were really supportive. And yeah, so it's been an interesting kind of like, evolution for me as a person as a performer to get more comfortable with trying to figure out especially with touring you know touring can be a really scary place when you're someone who has food anxieties so um it's been good to be open about it because even my bandmates and my manager know okay you know she needs to eat her smoothie on the road (laughs) thank you for being that open here because it's breaking brave it's all about bravery so thank you Mm -hmm. because it helps you, but it helps people out there. And mm-hmm. we've had some guests talk about any kind of things that they grapple mm-hmm. with. And our response from our audience has been so positive in terms of, yeah. thank you for sharing the things you said, the way you spoke about it was so helpful to me. I felt stronger, I felt better, and I felt more compelled to to reach out to people around me in getting that group, that tribe, that fan base, in your case, around you to say, it's okay, we got you. So Mm -hmm. thank you, Rafa, for that. Yeah. Can we talk about the Junos? Yeah. (laughs) Juno nomination 2020 for Dance Album of the Year, and that album was Gravity. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me that story? How did it feel for you to be nominated for Dance Album of the Year? Well, you know, it's funny. Like, I never really... As I know that I do pop music and it definitely has a dancey vibe. But when I got nominated for within the dance category with all these other artists who are like hardcore dance music artists, you know, it was funny because I never really saw myself. It was a, I felt like a bit of an imposter. Like I was like, oh, I don't know why I'm here. This isn't the category that I ever thought that I would get nominated for. But at the same time, I was like, I'll take it, obviously. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's like. I don't ever want my accolades to be, um, you know, awards because I think that that's like, I, if they think it's important to set these, these high goals, but I also don't, that's a high goal, you know, to have like, to have your, 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 
the way that you define yourself and your successes be through something like an award. Like, I don't want that. I want it to be more personal, you know, but at the same time, um, for me having a Juno nomination was, it was like finally feeling like the Canadian music industry saw me. Like it was like this kind of hat tip, you know, where they were like, we see how hard you're working. We know who you are, you know? And for me, sometimes I, I'm like, you know, those days where you're feeling a little bit spirally and insecure and you're like, who is this for? Like, does anybody hear what I'm doing? Does anybody see what I'm doing? There's so much talent in the world. Like sometimes you just feel like you're, you know, throwing stones against a wall. And um, it was a really nice moment where I felt like, okay, okay. So even if I don't win and I, I, you know, I, to be honest, I didn't think I was going to win because it, it it didn't really feel like the category. I felt like I was in a category with so many people who were so good at dance music that I was like, if I win, I will be truly shocked. Truly shocked. <laughs> uh, not the fake shock that you see at the Oscars. I'll be like, wait, what? Um, but I was just really, really happy to be nominated. And it did feel like this encouraging kind of pat on the back that was like, okay, keep going. You know, people see you. People appreciate what you're doing. You, you actually have carved out a name in Canada. It's not just in your head, you know, it's real. Um, and I was just excited to like wear a fun outfit. That was really my, I mean, obviously like, you know, you've seen what I do. Like I was just like, this is my opportunity to really like, you know, mess up the red carpet at the Junos and really be like, I like my goal when it comes to red carpet outfits is like be polarizing. Either people will love it or they'll be like, I don't get it. But then you have people talking, right? You don't want to just be like a little wallflower. Or like, I don't, at least, want to be a wallflower and blend in. So I was, I was like really putting together an outfit. Womp womp. Now I have <laughs> to ask. Now I have to ask. Because in my research, I didn't find a photo of that. But maybe no, I didn't. No, I never got to go. Because the Junos got canceled two days before, right? Of course they did. So I never, I never attended the Junos. I just watched them on a computer. Um, so I didn't get to wear an outfit. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Very sad. Yeah. I know. I was really quite devastated. That sucks. I know. So now I have to get nominated again because I have to wear an outfit to the Junos. So um, we'll see. Praying for you. Yeah. Oh, Electric Circus used to happen on Queen Street and I would be oh, in my, have my face so cool. pasted to the window and at home alone, I'd be mm-hmm. practicing my dance moves. I was so in love. Oh, I, I remember uh, being a kid and my friend Corinna had a babysitter named Colette and she had her belly button pierced and she was a dancer at Electric Circus. And I was like, it, is there anything cooler? Like I worshipped her. Um, and I remember even one of the first music video treatments that I wrote was an Electric Circus concept where this little girl sneaks out of her bedroom and goes down to Queen Street and goes to watch Electric Circus. And I just have always been very, like to me, I remember Much Music being the coolest place, the coolest place. And um, and seeing, you know, into an interactive performances there. I remember seeing Shaggy there when I was like, 10 um so yeah I think that like gravity was definitely inspired by dance music of the 90s and uh just a couple of sort of contemporary pop artists who were really doing stuff that I liked um and I remember when I went into the session when we wrote gravity I I went in like I had a whole game plan I got there and I was like okay 
So we're going to pick a concept that is sexy and exciting, but really we're going to stay away from what I normally do, which is like really intimate narrative writing. I was like, I think let's try to pick just like a word, a concept that's like really ambiguous and, you know, people can just listen to the song and they don't have to kind of digest the story. I was like, let's write a dance song that just sounds good. And that was an interesting challenge for me because I think I always tend to kind of want to write these like very heartfelt tales. Um, so for me to do something that was like, let's let's just write a song that you could dance to that you don't have to listen really, you know, intensely lyrically to, that was a fun challenge for me. But it shows your breadth and depth of talent in the music industry. Because when you're like, what? I'm being nominated for a dance album? Yeah. What? I didn't really intend-ish to get nominated for such a thing like not for that no yeah. no I, I was kind of like hoping that if I got nominated and you know I hope that if I ever win as you know it will be I mean like I guess I'll take anything I really I <laughs> like, I won't be picky but it would be cool if it was for you know something that felt a little bit more true to I don't know I guess I always saw myself being like something more like like this song that you love that you feel so connected to like that's the song that got you the Juno but I I do love gravity um it's a facet of me so yeah of course that's great you have your own label mhm Rich Man Records yeah established in 2020 in the middle of a global pandemic so it yes. started and then it backburnered yes. smartly by the sound of things, very smartly, just yeah. put that away for a while because we yeah. don't know the future of the world right now. It was the most hilarious timing to announce. I was on tour, and it was probably a week, maybe two weeks before everything crumbled. And we announced Richmond Records, and um, and then, yeah, two weeks later, everything crumbled. So we kind of, like you said, you know, we put on the back burner the sense that we were like, okay, it's here, it exists, it's incorporated, you know, we have an account, we've done all the, the back stuff. Um, and we now the cool thing is that we're releasing my like we released my new EP under Richmond Records. So even though it is on the back burner in the sense that we're not currently, you know, signing artists, we are releasing my music under Richmond Records, which feels good because, you know, it, it's like I am signed to a label, but it's my own label. And so it's uh, me and my manager, Lori Lee. I met Lori like six years ago. She's been my manager for for yeah, about the last five or six years, and she's my business partner now because we um, we co-own Richmond Records. So um, that's cool for us to kind of switch up uh, the relationship and to be equal equals in, in this new business. Um, and we're learning a lot. I'm learning a lot. I love being a bit more present in the business side of things um, because I think as I get older and wiser and more comfortable in my craft, I want to be a part of the business. And, you know, not every call and email, but, um, but yeah, you know, I'm not 21. I'm not, I want like Ralph is a creation of mine and I want to be a part of even the, the hard conversations. Um, I'm a realist, you know, I know how challenging the music industry can be. Uh, and how uh, volatile. So Richmond Records is an opportunity for me and Lori to also, I always joke about how my plan B is to be like a real estate agent or something, because I'm very good at selling. <laughs> 
Um, and that's just, you know, it's not that I don't believe in myself as an artist. It's just like, I just think it's important to make sure that you have your hands in all different baskets. You never know. You exactly. Never know. And and with Richmond Records, it's an opportunity for me and Lori. You know, we're, we're multifaceted women who have, you know, besides what we do, we, we have other passions in music. So for me, like, I love um, styling. I love figuring out your personal brand and, and being true to that. You know, I think that there's a lot of young artists who get signed to major labels or indie labels, and then they don't know what their brand is yet because not everyone comes in going, okay, I'm Ralph, and here's my, you know, blah, 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 blah. Some people come in and they're like, I love music, but I don't know who I am as an artist. And if you let someone else shape you, depending on who they are, it, you know, it can it can be kind of a dangerous situation and a dishonest situation. So for us, Richmond Records is an opportunity to to be a safe hub of creativity and community for um, we want to focus on um, like non-male artists and artists of color and queer artists, um, because I think those are the people who are the most vulnerable in the music industry. Basically, anyone who's not a male <laughs> Um, and we want to kind of have this place where, you know, like me and Lori have spent years creating relationships with really wonderful, talented, um, artists and creatives in Toronto. And if you're, you know, we want to, we want to find these young artists who need those connections and, you know, me and Lori will kind of help guide them and be like, well, we have a photographer that we love. Oh, we have this director or we have a bunch of directors that we love. And, you know, they're safe people. They're people who will like lift you up and who we trust. And we just kind of want to like facilitate safety and community within the music industry because we've both, you know, as women in this industry, we've experienced our fair share of really unsafe moments and moments where we were talked down to and it sucks. It doesn't feel good. So if we can kind of, you know, I don't know, help, um, steer people in the right direction and you know help young artists feel safe that's that's like a big goal of ours thank you thank you for doing that Mm -hmm. i would like to talk about your touring are you touring let's promote you now let's this is the shameless promotion of rafa of ralph what's the tour when's the tour how can we follow you how can we support you tell (laughs) us everything well you can follow me. It's very easy because my handle across all social media platforms is the same. It is at songs by Ralph. Excellent. So if you find me on one, then you can find me on all um, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Um, but so I am touring in November. I'm doing my uh, a Canada headline tour, which is cool because I've been an opener many a time. Um, and I don't mind opening. I actually think it's a great opportunity to, um, you know, develop more fans. I actually love the short little sets because it's less exhausting. Um, and it's been so fun to to open for Carly Rae Jepsen and for this U.S. band Joan and Scott Hellman and Rhea May. And so doing a headline is, um, I have done some headline touring a little bit, but it's my first time doing, I think it's my first time doing an across Canada headline tour. And then I go to the States in um, January. So, so Canada's November. Unfortunately, there's no East Coast dates, um, which is sad because I love the East Coast very dearly, but it is easier to start West Coast and then drive all the way um, back to Toronto. So yeah, we start in Victoria and Vancouver, um, the beginning of November. And then we've got lots of dates, uh, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, uh, Montreal, um, 
Calgary, Edmonton, and then Toronto on um, the 30th of December, actually, uh, at the Phoenix, which is cool because I have never played the Phoenix before. Um, So anybody who's listening who lives in Toronto, really trying to fill up the Phoenix. Um, And it's going to be an amazing show. I'm, you know, the cool thing about headline shows is that it's my show. So I get to do whatever I want. So I'm going to have guest performers. I have a really great opener. Her name is Alex Porat. Um, she's actually an artist signed with my manager. She's lovely. It's her first time touring. So I'm actually really excited to have, you know, a, a young female on board with me who, you know, I, when I first started touring, I remember, I think my first tour was with Rhea May, who is such a wonderful person and she made the tour so sweet and so fun because it felt like just I don't know like a safe place and it felt like I had a headliner who valued me and whenever I I performed she'd always say you know isn't Ralph amazing and I thought that was so nice so it's nice to bring someone along with me who's never toured before and she was like can you show me the ropes and I was like yeah I can show you how to make a smoothie in a hotel room um you know I intend to be there yeah December 30th in Toronto I don't live in Toronto but I'm driving in I'm there at the Phoenix And I would so encourage all of our Breaking Brave listeners to follow you, to find you, to appreciate you, to go and see you live. I mean, the opportunity of going to a live event. I know. And I, I, you know, I obviously I know I'm a little bit biased, but I will say that, like, I can see how much fun the audience has at my shows because because I encourage, like, I love putting on a great stage outfit. So I'm actually today, I have a meeting with a designer who's going to make me, who's going to make me tour clothes, which will be really fun. So I get to like design them with him. But, you know, I encourage everyone who comes to really wear whatever you like, really wear an outfit, you know, put on the glitter, put on the mesh top. Uh, Again, I always say like, I cultivate, my goal is to always cultivate a safe space because my audience is, I would say like, you know, six out of 10 audience members are queer and I have a really big LGBTQIA audience. And so for me, it's really important for everyone who's coming to the show to feel like they can be their true selves and to feel completely at home and safe. And um, that's why I always say like, wear whatever makes you feel good, you know, dance as hard as you want. um, And, and don't ever feel like anyone is going to judge you for that. Um, But yeah, the show is going to be really, really fun. And it's it's basically like a pre New Year's Eve. It is New Year's Eve, basically, you know, so I can't wait. I can't wait. Mm -hmm. Rafa, I don't know how to thank you. This has been such an enjoyable coffee conversation. Oh, well, thank you. I have learned so much. (laughs) I have felt so much. It's, it's, you're just a delight and a gift to this world. And I hope that everybody listening will follow you at Songs by Ralph. Correct. Yes. And go to your shows if they're anywhere near any of the cities that you're touching. Be well, be safe. And thank Thank you you. so much for joining us on Breaking Brave. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at Marilyn Barefoot. That's it for today. See you next time.